0: around your word. Help us to set aside the distractions, everything that we think is important, and now focus on what is important for us, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear what you have to say. Bless Richard as he comes, and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Richard Dick. Thank you very much. I'm going to stand down here so I can keep my coffee on a stable surface. <coughs> well first of all I have to open up with two things. One is to apologize to Mike Helvey for being better dressed than he is. <laughs> and the other is to thank Bob Thornton who has rescued me from the, the uh, depths of technological obscurity by the fact that at 5.30 he didn't have my files with this or my slides, but recovered magnificently, and that's why we're here today. Okay, so next slide, mister. Please, maybe if it'll go, there we go. Okay, Ephesians 2, 1 to 7, even color-coded. Unfortunately, it doesn't show up quite as well as I'd like, but this is a passage that um, I even highlighted. If you get nothing else, From this passage, look at the very center of the screen, the big letters, but God. If you take away nothing else from this time, those two words, but God. Before that, disaster, doom. After it, unbelievable riches. And the difference, but God. And that's just the way it's written in Greek, so we'll cover that. And you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And you, so you, in this passage and really throughout the first part of Ephesians, when Paul says you and we, he's really referring, when he says we, he's referring to Jews. And we saw that in Ephesians 1, see it in Ephesians 2, and, and so on. So, and when he says you, he's referring to Gentiles. Because remember, he's talking to a Gentile church, either at Ephesus or in the area of Ephesus in a circular letter. So, to a degree, as w- and chapter 2, of course, is where it's all going to come together, and it sort of changes into the whole body of Christ as Paul explains how that distinction is erased in the cross. Okay, through the trespasses and sins. I give you the Greek words there, uh, just because it's fun to put things in Greek. Whoa, what was that? Is that me? Yeah, it was the power of God, so. Okay, yes, we're good. So, actually, before I get to that, remember we talked in Ephesians 1, We went through that very long prayer. Most of Ephesians 1 is a prayer. Well, it continues. If you look at the Greek, which I didn't, but John Stott did, there isn't even a verb until verse 5. So the whole first part of this is just a continuation of his prayer. So Paul talked in Ephesians 1 about what God has done for us, and now he's going to talk about what he saved us from that from which we have been delivered. So I I give you there that in view of all that Paul has asked God to do in the lives of the Ephesians, all that he's done to put Christ's head over all things, he now looks at what he's already done for us. And we were dead. It doesn't come across. It's like the zombie apocalypse, in a sense. Not to minimize it, but to really sort of explain... We think of ourselves, obviously, as not dead, Um, but spiritually, of course, we were. We were utterly incapable of response. And that's why in the discussion of predestination that we had last week um, and the week before, that this idea of we can play some role, we can take some initiative in turning to God just sort of falls, I think, before us, because we were dead. We were incapable of response in any way. <coughs> and we were dead for two reasons. One is what we do, our trespasses and sins, and we'll talk about that in a second. The other is who we were. Okay? We were the sons of Adam. Remember when we talked back in Romans, the legacy we have from Adam? We'll probably all have words. That legacy that we have, that nature that we have, we were, by nature, incapable of responding to God. And not only that, we were absolutely unwilling to. It's not like we were good folks led astray. We weren't. We were rebels, even the best of us. We were rebels against God, by nature separated from him, and by inclination running away from him as fast as we could. Okay, trespasses and sins. The two words that are used there, they really sort of show who we are and what we do. i give you the Greek words in the notes, or the words in the notes, but the two words, are it really sets off both of us, both sides of, of who we were before we came to Christ. That we were by nature rebels, and we were by action rebels following the course of this world, the word that's translated course there is really, it's not just the um, idea that we would use that term, that this is the way things go. It's really the time in which they exist. So the word that's translated course can also mean age. (coughs) And it's put in there to contrast in verse 7. So the course of this world, on one hand, (coughs) excuse me, the world in which we live now, this, this world, with a the prince of the power of the air before we came to Christ. And then the coming ages. So Paul's setting up a dichotomy. This is what you were. This is where you were. This is what you will be, what you are now and will be. And this is what you will enjoy in eternity to come. So the present age and the ages to come. Okay, prince of the power of the air. Gosh, that is strange. Don't see that, that phrasing very much. So what does it mean? Well, think of yourself. You've probably all been in a circumstance where you've seen like a forest fire. Not a big one, but a small one, or just a brush fire. And you've seen that you wonder if your glasses are clean, okay, because it's fuzzy. But you're not sure because it's not that thick. You know, what's going on? Are my glasses dirty? Is there something in the air? Because it surrounds you, and you don't appreciate it. Well, before we came to Christ, that was us. We were in this air, in this world, um, in this present age, and there was something wrong. We might have known it, we might have really felt that we didn't, didn't particularly like it, but we couldn't escape it. We didn't even really recognize its nature or recognize how to escape from it. And that was under the control of the prince of the power of the air. And that, of course, is a term for Satan but also for all those spiritual beings that uh, operate under his control. It's very unpopular in parts of Christianity today to believe in a personal devil. I'm sorry if it's in the scriptures, but it is. and We really can't escape from it. There is a personal malevolent being, much more limited than God, who only operates at his sufferance, but nonetheless who is there, and the world is under his influence and control. The kingdom of God under the radar is expanding. The gates of hell are crumbling, but nonetheless, for now, God has permitted him a measure of, uh, I say sovereignty, but very limited sovereignty, very limited rule, but nonetheless there in this world. And that's what we all lived in before we came to Christ. The sons of disobedience, I don't know, to you, Maybe it comes across differently. Disobedience to me is when Sally doesn't want to eat her cereal. Okay, and then Sally, you gotta eat your cereal. Okay, go stand in the corner or whatever measures that you as a dad have to take to get Sally to eat her cereal. Well, it's not that. It's obviously much more serious than that. It's that deep-seated rebellion. <coughs> like when Sally looks at you with a look and you know inside, like you'd say, Sally, sit down. And Sally sits down, and she looks at you, and you know, inside, she's not sitting down. She's standing up. Okay? And that's what we do to God in that idea of disobedience. Among these we, that you and we again, all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The, the idea there is passions is not emotions, and passions is not physical. Passions of the flesh is not physical. It's that idea of... <coughs> Passions being that which controls us, those that coveting for things that God has said that we shouldn't have. Well, I want them. Yes, but they're bad for you, so you shouldn't have them. They're bad for you. They besmirch my glory, so you shouldn't have them. But I want them anyway. And the flesh—it's not our bodies. It's a Platonic idea. The idea is of Plato that our bodies are somehow evil. That's not a Christian teaching. God created our bodies. So it's not flesh in the sense of our bodies, it's flesh in the sense of that which belongs to the world. That which is in rebellion shakes its fist at God. (coughs) Following the desires of body and mind. So by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, this really bothers people, it should, children, by nature children of wrath, that before we came to Christ, remember when Christ is talking to the Jews in John 8, and he says to them, you are of your father, what? The devil. Okay, that was us. We were in the realm of the prince of the power of the air. We belonged to him. We were his. And those without Christ are trapped in that as well. That's why evangelism is so urgent for us. Well, no, it's not so urgent for us. It should be so urgent for us. It should be so urgent for me. It's not because I'm not gripped by the fact that those people without Christ are trapped under the fatherhood of the most malevolent being who's ever existed, okay? And only the gospel can bring them out of that slavery. So, and guys like Bob, for example, um, and others who are gifted and driven, Anthony, gifted and driven for evangelism, you know, that 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 propels them and needs to propel me more. Okay, so things are pretty bleak through verses three. I give you A passage actually on this next slide, which we won't go to right now, from the Amplified that that really brings that out in much more detail. Uh, So we'll put it up and you can read it at your leisure, probably during the question time. Okay, but God. Okay, absolutely desperate, hopeless condition. Nothing in the universe could save us but God. So the one being who can do something about it does who is rich in mercy. Anybody know what a plutocrat is? Okay, a plutocrat is somebody who rules or is in authority by virtue of how much money he has. Seems strangely resonant today for some reason. Um, So that word uh, plousios is that word there. Somebody who's rich, just has more money than he knows what to do with, which isn't true of God. He doesn't know what to do with it. Okay, but that's how much riches he has. It's storehouses, treasure chambers of, of mercy overflowing with, with mercy and grace and love toward us. And that's what God, out of the great love with which he loved us. So the great love with which he loved us, remember, has nothing to do with how good we are. Has nothing to do with anything we can do. Has nothing to do with our ability to love him back. Because when he loved us, we were dead. It's like that zombie apocalypse again. It's like falling in love with, with uh, Cruella Corella Deville, That kind of thing. We were dead and rebels against him when he turns to us and brings us to himself. Made us alive together with Christ. You may notice I've highlighted three things there. Raised us up with him, made us sit with him, and then made us alive together with him. All those things, coming to life in Christ, being raised up from the dead, and sitting with Christ. Where is Christ sitting in eternity? Is it on a camp stool? Is it on the edge of a bed, is it on the floor? No, it's on a throne. We're sitting with him. Remember when he tells the disciples, okay, you are gonna sit with me and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know what that means. But the idea is that they are sitting on thrones. It's like if you, if you watched uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, at the end, those, the three become kings. And queens. That's us. I don't have, I have no idea how that issue of authority, king over what, queen over what, but it doesn't matter. The idea is that God has raised us from being dead, from being uh, completely separated from and rebellious against Him, to sitting beside Him on a throne. But all that happens, none of it happens through us. All of it happens through Him. All of those three things are accomplished with Him. Paul very specifically calls out, aside from Christ, this doesn't happen. This is only him. That in the coming ages, and we talked about that contrast between the two, (coughs) excuse me, Um, that he might show the immeasurable, the surpassing, the unimaginably great riches of his grace and kindness toward us. So think about that. God has done all this. He has changed the very fabric of the universe. And he says, so I believe it, he says that the reason he did that was in the ages to come, he might display his kindness toward us. So let that sink in a little bit. The God of the universe has changed time and history focused it all on the person of Jesus Christ, one of the reasons being his glory, and I'll talk about that in a second, but the other one is his kindness toward us. So we should feel pretty blessed because we are infinitely blessed because that's why God has done this, one of the reasons God has done this. He might show. He might show to who? To us, certainly. We're there. We appreciate the benefit of it. The other thing, and and we see this actually uh, to a degree in Prince of the Power of the Air, and we'll see it elsewhere in Ephesians, we don't appreciate, remember Marty talks about dimensionalities uh, a lot when he talks about sermons, and he says that in other dimensionalities and Christ enters our dimensionality, well, it's that idea that there's a whole arena going on around us of spiritual things that are happening it's like a cosmic theater and I've used that term with you before when I've taught there's a cosmic theater going on and there's a play and we're in the play we don't know it and we don't see the audience the audience is those spiritual powers unfortunately many of them malevolent but God is displaying to them just what you see here the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ why is he doing that I don't know That's, it's his show, so to speak, literally. It's his theater to display those things, and we are the vessels of that. We get to display to them God's glory and grace. Not only in the coming ages, right here, right now, you and I, we get to display God to advantage before those principalities and powers. When we obey God, when we say, the right thing to the right person at the right time when we're available to him, when we do those sacrificial things in our families, in our workplaces, we display God to advantage. Okay, I give you, actually, can you go, th- just show the next slide there, Bob? This is that amplified passage. So you can, um, I'll, put it up after, I'll ask Bob to put it up after we show you the questions so you can read through it. It does really, I really like the language here. Uh, because it brings out a lot of the details about who we were and who we are. Next slide, please. Okay, questions. What's the most remarkable thing you've yet seen God do for you personally in addition to your salvation? Why do I ask you that? Well, two reasons. One is um, it fits in because God, if you think that's remarkable, there's much more to come. But the other thing is, I was asked by a person who was spiritually interested but not yet a believer, uh, show, tell me about some answer to prayer that you physically have seen. My answer was pretty weak. I don't want us to be in that position. If somebody says, what's God done for you lately? We should have an answer. And, or what's the most remarkable thing you've ever seen God do? We should have an answer. And then why does it continue to seem so remarkable? Why does it still stay with you? And then secondly... What's something yet to do? What would you like, especially, God, to change in you? How might you better cooperate with God? How might the guys at your table help you? Okay, can I pray for us? Father, thank you that you are an infinitely gracious and loving God. Be glorified. Let the uh, wheat be planted and the chaff be blown away. Accomplish in our lives all that you wish to. In Jesus' name, amen.